0: FBI Director is grilled in Congress, more evidence of election fraud in Arizona, and the latest on the FTX scandal. It's Information Overload Thursday on this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and we'll lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 284 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Thursday November 17th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6 political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States, is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. where unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Now, before we get to the latest on the FTX scandal, before we get to the fireworks with the FBI being grilled in Congress, before we get to more evidence of election fraud in Arizona, I have this crazy idea. Janet Yellen is our treasury secretary. And Janet Yellen is as clueless as any other federal bureaucrat I've ever heard of. She literally just doesn't know. As my grandmother would say, she doesn't know much. I oh, don't know, what's it granny used to say? You don't know nothing. And not much of that. So Janet Yellen is asked by CBS News about diesel. Uh, are we going to have enough diesel to get through the winter months? And uh, her response really doesn't go well. It's not the sort of response that inspires confidence among people who are going to be affected by whether we have enough diesel to get through the winter or not, which is basically all of us. It went something like this.
1: At this point, do you believe that the U.S. will have enough diesel fuel to make it through
2: the winter? Well, hopefully, I I believe there will be, but um, the East Coast uh, really faces some shortages and low inventories, so um, we're keeping a close eye and monitoring that.
1: What's that going to mean for prices? I mean, diesel is the fuel that's used uh, in trains and long-haul trucking to get uh, everything that we use across the country.
2: Well... Hopefully, we won't see a further increase in prices. Prices have gone up, um, and we're monitoring the situation very very closely. We've had conversations with the oil companies about it. Unfortunately, there's a shortage of refinery capacity in the United States, and that's one of the reasons for the situation we face.
0: There are the same shortages of refineries, refinery capacity, under Trump. Why didn't we have high diesel prices then? Hmm? They're monitoring it, hopefully. There are going to be shortages, but they hope the price won't go up. That kind of basic ignorance about how the economy works, as I said, doesn't really inspire confidence oh, well, we've spoken to the oil companies as if the oil companies set the prices. That kind of basic ignorance. But again, it's broken, and they like it broken. It's a feature, not a bug for these people. All right, I want to talk about... The situation with FTX. I want to talk about the update. A lot of us don't really have a good handle on cryptocurrency. It's something that a lot of us have avoided getting a handle on, like the plague. Right? And yet, I'm kind of reminded of years ago when Barack Obama was first running for president, and a lot of people would say, I'm not interested in politics. To which I would respond, well, the problem is that eventually politics is going to get interested in you. Well, it's the th- same thing with this FTX situation, okay? So let me let me get into that a little bit with you. Uh, Michael Schellenberger, the great Michael Schellenberger over at Substack, has an article entitled, Crypto Fraud Exposes Woke Capitalism as a Scam. Why do people keep falling for it? And he says, Sam Bankman Freed, the founder of FTX, which was until last week the world's second largest cryptocurrency exchange, is today facing prison time for allegedly defrauding his customers of billions of dollars with a B. 30-year-old Bankman Freed, donated to many progressive causes, allied with the effective altruism movement, including pandemic prevention and response. He spoke at, and presumably donated to, the World Economic Forum's Davos-Switzerland conference last May and the Clinton Foundation's Clinton Global Initiative in September, just two months ago. bankman fried is similar to Bernie Madoff in that both men used philanthropic giving and the veneer of humility to create a positive reputation while running pyramid schemes that should have set off red flags among investors, regulators, and journalists. In truth, the Bankman-Freed scandal shows that all do-gooder capitalism should set off red flags. Bankman Freed claimed he was only trying to get rich in order to raise money for charity and investors and journalists overwhelmingly took him at his word even while visiting him at his $40 million home in the Bahamas. A reporter from Vox, V as in Victory, OX said to Bankman fried just a couple of nights ago you were really good at talking about ethics for someone who kind of saw it all as a game with winners and losers to which Bankman fried responded yeah he he I feel bad for those who got blanked by it by this dumb game we woke westerners play where we say all the right shibboleths so everyone likes us shibboleth is a a Jewish term. I'm trying to remember what that means. Let me let me look that up real quick. Couldn't do this back in the day when I first started talk radio. Shibboleths. Uh, Shibboleth is a custom, a principle, or belief distinguishing a, a particular class or group of people, especially a long-standing one regarded as outmoded or no, no longer important. Now, defenders of do-gooder capitalism say that socially responsible investing, which was rebranded as ESG, you know what that stands for, Environmental, Social, and Governance. ESG, to refer to investing that takes those issues into account, they say it's done a lot of good. They point point to ESG investments in things like renewable energy, electric vehicles, carbon offsets, as proof that capitalism and philanthropy can coexist. But ESG has been rocked by scandal after scandal of greenwashing things that are bad for the environment, people, and democracy. Few carbon offsets actually reduce carbon emissions. Many are scams. Some pay landowners to not cut down trees they were never going to log in the first place. Others pay renewable energy developers who are already going to build wind and solar projects anyway. Most solar panels and electric car batteries are made in Xinjiang, China, by incarcerated Uyghur Muslims. Solar projects require 300 to 600 times more land, than nuclear or natural gas plants and are devastating, fragile desert environments. And there is no waste disposal solution for used solar panels, a hazardous waste, which means they will be sent to landfills or dumped on poor nations. Even Sam Bankman-Fried acknowledges that ESG has been perverted beyond recognition. Now, fraud may seem like a harsh word for describing ESG, but Black's Law defines fraud as an activity that relies on deception in order to achieve a gain and ESG certifiers and sellers of solar panels and solar projects know perfectly well that their projects violate the letter and spirit of ESG. Representatives of the renewable energy industry for years claimed their products were cheaper than other energy sources, even as they were lobbying Congress for $369 billion in subsidies, with a B. And many ESG funds exclude nuclear energy, even though nuclear has the smallest environmental footprint of any energy source, pays higher wages in solar, and enjoys the strictest regulatory governance of any energy source. As I scroll past a picture of Sam Bankman-Fried sitting with Bill Clinton at the Clinton Global Initiative, September eighteenth, 2022, and they're both laughing, oh, yucking it up, about ripping off the rubes. But the article continues, in truth, Societies are much more vulnerable to ESG, renewable energy, and offset frauds than to con artists like Madoff and Bankman-Fried. You see, the latter are caught as soon as the stock market crashes and their pyramid scheme collapses. By contrast, ESG, renewables, and offsets continue to find customers despite scandal after scandal as do the Clinton Foundation and the World Economic Forum. Clinton Foundation is still holding pay-to-play conferences despite having been caught accepting anywhere from 10 to 25 million from Saudi Arabia and a million from Qatar before and while, respectively, Hillary Clinton became Secretary of State. And the World Economic Forum's founder, Klaus Schwab, was at the G20 meeting this week despite revelations that the World Economic Forum promoted FTX Sam Bankman frieds or frauds company as such the question is not why woke frauds like Bankman fried do what they do nor why they get caught, but rather why people continue to fall for it. Why do such transparent efforts to buy public sympathy through greenwashing and wokewashing continue to work? Well, maybe one reason is wokeism is the new greed is good over the spring and summer. As investors pull their money out of cryptocurrencies, Bankman fried started bailing out cryptocurrency firms. He characterized his actions as altruistic. Many reporters uncritically accepted this interpretation. CNBC's own Jim Cramer, has he ever been right about anything? How does he keep his job? He called Bankman Freed the J.P. Morgan of this generation in reference to banker John, Pierport, John Pierpoint Morgan's Famous 1907 bailout of failing banks. CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin of the influential show Squawk Box called him the J.P. Morgan of crypto while introducing a September 16th, 2022 profile of Bankman-Fried. Oh, the day went before he went to the uh, uh, Clinton Global Initiative. CNBC financial reporter Kate Rooney responded, "Yeah." The Michael Jordan of crypto. But she went on. She said he spent hundreds of millions of dollars to bail out struggling companies facing bankruptcy, liquidity issues, you name it. The CEO, though, lives a relatively understated life for a billionaire. He drives a Toyota Corolla to FTX's offices in the Bahamas. He lives with 10 roommates and a golden doodle named Gopher. Sometimes sleeps under his desk, on a beanbag chair. Oh well, if he's got a, if he's got a golden doodle dog, then what difference does it make that he's ripping off investors of billions of dollars? I don't know. Have I ever mentioned to you that that sometimes people who pose as journalists on television really are airheads? I mean, not that I'm thinking of anybody specifically here. By the way, CNBC financial reporter Kate Rooney somehow neglected to mention that Bankman-Fried's home is valued at $40 million, even though she interviewed him in it. In fact, Bankman-Fried's FTX allegedly spent $74 million on real estate in the Bahamas. But Ms. Rooney swooned You said FTX has a responsibility to seriously consider stepping into the time to save companies. Why did you have that sense of responsibility? Now, in retrospect, there were red flags everywhere. In several interviews this fall, Bankman-Fried's leg is shaking nervously. In 2020, Bankman-Fried admitted to using stimulants. Yeah, he told a podcaster a couple years ago, In general, probably half of all people or more should be taking meds of some kind because they just make your life a lot better. And in April of this year, Bankman-Fried appeared to admit that his company was a Ponzi scheme, you know, one of those pyramid schemes, to a Bloomberg reporter named Matt Levine. Bankman-Fried actually said this to Levine, and I quote, You start with a company that builds a box maybe for now actually ignore what it does or pretend it does literally nothing. It's just a box. This box is worth zero, obviously, but on the other hand, if everyone kind of now thinks that this box, talking about cryptocurrency, this box token is worth about a billion dollar market cap, that's what people are pricing it at and sort of has that market cap. The interviewer from Bloomberg, Matt Levine, a former investor and one of the leading crypto reporters in the U.S. interjected by saying, you're just like, well, I'm in the Ponzi business and it's pretty good. To which Bankman Freed said, I think that's a pretty reasonable response. That's one framing of this. And I think there's like a sort of depressing amount of validity. At that very moment, Bankman-Fried appears to have been using FTX's own cryptocurrency as collateral for lending FTX customer money to his own hedge fund called Alameda Capital. In retrospect, he appears to be making something of a confession to Levine back in April. Bankman-Fried said, everyone's gone a mark to market. In fact, you can even finance this, right? You put X token in a borrow lending protocol and borrow dollars with it. If you think it's worth, like, not less than two-thirds of that, you could even just, like, put some in there, take the dollars out, and never, you know, give the dollars back. And yet, Bloomberg reporter and investor Matt Levine writes this, and I quote, I came away from that conversation bullish on FTX and Bankman Freed. My view was and is that if you talk to a crypto exchange operator and he is like, crypto is changing the world, your old-fashioned economics are just H O D L, then that's bad. A wild-eyed crypto true believer is not the person to operate an exchange. The person you want operating an exchange is a clear-eyed trader, unquote. Well, Bloomberg reporter Matt Levine is not alone in his various interviews. Bankman-Fried came across with humility and an awe shucks style while also communicating quiet confidence. Six times in response to questions from Chuck Todd at Meet the Press last September, Bankman-Fried said silkily, "It's a good question." The way Bankman-Fried said it sounded like a compliment. while he he was praising the journalist for his intelligence. As such, Bankman-Fried was making a classic confidence artist move. By the way, do you know what the shorthand is for confidence artist? Yeah, con artist. In many cons, the confidence artist expresses his own confidence in his mark so that the mark will reciprocate by investing his confidence in the con artist. Humans are so wired to reciprocity that it feels rude not to feel confident in someone who has expressed his confidence in us. And con artists like Bankman-Fried and Bernie Madoff expressed progressive values broadly shared by elites, including journalists. On meet the press. Bankman-Fried told Chuck Todd that he was making pandemic prevention and response a key part of his effective altruism philanthropy. He said COVID is one of the clearest examples of this, where we did not as a country or as a world frankly have a coherent strategy. Why then do frauds like Bernie Madoff and Sam Bankman-Fried get away with it? And why do we keep trusting people like the Clintons and Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum? Because many people... Particularly liberal-minded investors, but also journalists and members of the voting public, want to trust them. Wishful thinking is powerful. We saw a similar dynamic with the fraud carried out by uh, Theranos, founder Elizabeth Holmes. Rich and powerful people wanted to believe in her for the same reason people wanted to believe in Bankman Freed. And liberals especially wanted to believe bankman Freed, That's because they tend to feel guiltier than conservatives and libertarians about their greed. They thus need wokeism, an alternative religion to justify it. Now the hostile takeover investor played by Michael Douglas in the 1987 classic Wall Street said, Greed is good. Douglas proceeded to give the standard justification of capitalism provided by Adam Smith in 1776. The Douglas character in the movie Wall Street said greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. But such a justification doesn't work for liberals. They need to feel that their greed is good because their greed is altruistic. What hucksters like Bankman fried the Clintons, and Klaus Schwab provide is a woke justification for their greed. Wow. That's Michael Schellenberger over at Substack. Article entitled, Crypto Fraud Exposes Woke Capitalism as a Scam. Now, let me tell you a little bit more because there is a lot more to the story than meets the eye. And I will get to that momentarily, but in the meantime, I want to say thank you to our advertisers for making it possible for us to continue To talk about a lot of stories that other talk show hosts don't touch on. And to talk about some stories that they may mention, but give you context they don't. And for that, we really appreciate friends like Red River Your Way. Now, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage You may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way. If you have any questions, Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button on it that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. You want a car, truck, van, or SUV? Order it online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom—the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live in the continental USA. RedRiverYourWay.com. dot com. You'll be glad you did. You did. I'm, I'm really glad I did. I got a great deal. Thank you to Mitch Ward over at Red River Your Way. We appreciate you so much. All right now. I'll tell you about Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it is important not only to band together and support companies that share our conservative values, but I'm pretty sure it's important to drastically reduce your monthly cell phone bill. That's what I did when I left the major carrier and went to Patriot Mobile. Now, Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage, uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts, for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support From the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. All you have to do, just go to patriotmobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Now make sure you use the promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, my name, for free activation. Now if you are a conservative-owned business, tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas, Patriot Mobile now offers competitive business plans to suit companies of any size. Switch to Patriot Mobile Business. Find out more at business.patriotmobile.com or call their 100% U.S.-based member services team at 469-FREEDOM. Again, make sure you use the promo code DOC, D-O-C for free activation. That's business.patriotmobile.com. Or 469-FREEDOM. And thank you to Glenn Story and the crew at Patriot Mobile for making it possible for us to do what we do here. All right. Now, I've got some more about this FTX insanity that's going on. BusinessInsider.com, Matthew Fox reporting a new bankruptcy filing shows the value of FTX's crypto holdings is just $659,000. This is after Sam Bankman-Fried said they were worth $5.5 billion. Okay. I mean, to me, that sounds like, a bit of a discrepancy, if I may use that term, in present company. Let me look at Genevieve Rochdector, CFA, money manager who's been seen on Bloomberg, Fox Business Network, CEO of Grit Capital. She also writes the number one finance newsletter on Substack, and she has a thread over on Twitter And this is scary stuff. She said, I read the 30-page FTX bankruptcy court filing. How bad were FTX's internal controls? Here are the worst examples. Number one, employees submitted expense reimbursements over chat. A random manager would accept or reject these reimbursements with an emoji. Number two related party loans Alameda Research FTX's hedge fund gave Sam Bankman-Fried a 1 billion dollar personal loan they also loaned director of engineering Nishad Singh 543 million number 3 very few records were kept most decisions were made over chat with the messages automatically deleted after a certain time. Number four, FTX, a company valued at $32 billion with a B, never had board meetings. Neither did most of the subsidiaries. Number five, FTX had no cash management system. Management had no idea how much cash was on hand at any given time or even where all their cash was. Number six, FTX didn't keep proper records of who they employed. Employees and contractors commingled throughout the different companies without proper documentation of how they spent their time. Certain employees cannot be located, which could mean that some employees were actually fake, didn't even exist. Number seven, corporate funds were used to purchase personal use real estate and employees and executives put their names on homes purchased with company funds. Number eight, crypto deposited by customers weren't even recorded on the balance sheet. Presumably, All crypto assets just went into one central slush fund used for whatever. Number nine, the filing makes clear that Sam Bankman Freed does not speak for the company and that his erratic and misleading public statements should not be disregarded. Maybe she meant should be disregarded. Maybe that's a typo. Let me see. Because she's got the um, screenshot from the, f- from the filing. Okay, the screenshot says 76 Finally and critically, the debtors have made clear to employees and the public that Mr. Bankman Freed is not employed by the debtors and does not speak for them. Mr. Bankman Freed, currently in the Bahamas, continues to make erratic and misleading public statements. Mr. Bankman Freed whose connections of financial holdings in the Bahamas remain unclear to me, recently stated to a reporter on Twitter, effing regulators, they make everything worse, and suggested the next step for him was to win a jurisdictional battle versus Delaware. Well, it's probably licensed in Delaware, I guess that means. Yeah, this is... uh, This is crazy. Ah, ah, oh, this is funny. So Stephen McIntyre, the guy over climate audit on Twitter, he responds, too bad comedian John Stewart didn't ask SEC chair Gary Gensler about his protege, Sam Bankman-Fried. Securities Exchange Commission, Gary Gensler, the guy says, his, his protege. wow, that's just amazing. That's just amazing. But can I, and I'm, if I was a betting man, I would bet you have never heard these details of this whole scandal anywhere else. Am I right? But I, before I get to some of the people that Sam Bankman-Fried donated to, um, I got some background. I got some background on this guy that may give you an understanding of where he's coming from. Again, from the great Michael Schellenberger, this time uh, not at Substack, but at a thread over in Twitter. And he came out with this Around lunchtime Wednesday, November sixteenth, he said nine years ago when crypto fraudster Sam Bankman fraud, fraud, fraud can't say the, the the guy's name, it's Freed. I want to say fraud. Nine years ago when crypto fraudster Sam Bankman Freed was nineteen. I don't know, I think he'd been twenty one. If he's thirty now, he'd have been twenty one. Anyway. His mother, a Stanford professor, wrote a very long article making the case that free will is a myth and that we should not blame people for committing crimes. She wrote this article over the Boston Review. This is in 2013. She actually wrote these words. She said, Our worldviews, aspirations, temperaments, conduct... And achievements, everything we conventionally think of as us, are in significant part determined by accidents of biology and circumstance. So you see where this is going. She said, Suppose that Smith grew up in a neighborhood where drug dealing was the most common form of gainful employment. He was raised by a single mother who was a cocaine addict and by the time he was 12, was supporting his family by selling drugs. When he was 17, he got caught up in a drug deal gone bad, and the altercation that ensued, he shot and killed the buyer. How should we think about Smith's level of moral responsibility? Now she adds, parental income and education are the most powerful predictors of whether a three-year-old will end up in the boardroom or in prison. According to Freed's own argument, we should hold her son more responsible for his fraud, given his rich, educated parents. She concludes, we have gotten nothing from our 40-year blame fest except the guilty pleasure of reproaching others for acts that, but for the grace of God or luck or social or biological forces, we might well have committed ourselves. Nothing. That's what she says. We've gotten nothing. For her, it's black and white. Mrs. Freed's essay is reflective of the standard woke attack on personal responsibility. They basically are saying, You're not responsible because you didn't choose your genetics or circumstances. Now, under such reasoning, one is not responsible for committing crime. Amazing. Schellenberg says, I addressed this denial of free will slash personal responsibility in the article, San Francisco. I noted that after World War II, there was a debate over free will And most people decided that the good soldier, also known as I was just following orders, defense was untenable. Right? Well, I guess it was a book. I'm sorry, it wasn't an article. It was a book Michael Schellenberger wrote called San Francisco, Why Progressives Ruin Cities. And here's the quote. After World War II, a longstanding philosophical debate over whether we have free will or adjust the products of our environments, gained real-world significance. Former Nazi officers on trial defended themselves by saying they were not responsible for their actions, including the operation of gas chambers, because they were following orders. Courts ruled that this was not a valid defense, and philosophers, including French existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre, gained worldwide fame in his emphasis on individual responsibility. He writes, man is condemned to be free. From the moment he is thrown into this world, he is responsible for everything he does. Schellenberger says, I pointed out that denial of free will gives people permission to behave badly. Sam Bankman fried may be proof of that. Here's more from Michael Schellenberger's book, San Francisco, Why Progressives Ruin Cities. He says, Michel Foucault disagreed, following the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Foucault felt that individual responsibility was a myth used by powerful people to punish and discipline others for things they could not control. None of us chose our brains and bodies, our families and communities, or our places in time and space. How could we be said to have free will at all? The problem with this line of thinking is that people appear to behave far better when they take responsibility for their actions than when they don't. Subjects primed to disbelieve in free will are, for example, more likely to engage in aggressive behaviors. Disbelief in free will even seems to impair some cognitive processes. Schellenberger says, "If free will is a myth, it's a good one. It's what leads people to obey laws. it's what allows civilization to exist. The fact that free, the fact that free will is a myth socially constructed, is no argument against it." And he has another quote from his book. He says, "One way to think about free will is that it exists only as a belief." The more we believe in free will, the more it exists. The less we believe in it, the less it exists. Corey Clark, professor of social psychology, who's doing innovative research into how we think about freedom and responsibility, says if you do call free will an illusion, it's a useful illusion, right? Thinking through, if I do X, Y will happen, is an important part of the process that leads to making better choices. If people thought they didn't have to do that, they might not make good choices anymore. You know, it kind of reminds me of these people that um, are on all these viral videos on YouTube now. Committing suicide by cop, right? When you're dealing with several armed police officers and you lunge at them with a knife or or pull a gun on them, you're, you're going down. You're going down. Anyway, Schellenberger continues in his thread here on Twitter. He says, what all of that philosophical gymnastics get you is the justification to do whatever you want. It opens the door to might makes right justifications. And it provides a clear path to the charitable ends, justify the fraudulent means, rationalizations that people like Sam Bankman Freed engaged in. He says, this scandal is spectacular proof that high intelligence is no substitute for horrible ethics and may even undermine the ethics. The smartest guys in the room are particularly well-equipped to justify bad, power-hungry nihilism. Oh, this is fantastic. So Sam Bankman freed himself did a long thread of tweets on Monday, November 14th. Oh, my goodness. He says, what happened? Not legal advice, not financial advice. This is all as I remember it, but my memory might be faulty in parts. He says, I'll get to what happened, but for now, let's talk about where we are today. He says, to the best of my knowledge, as of post-November 7th, with the potential for errors, Alameda had more assets and liabilities, M2M, but not liquid. Alameda had margin position on FTX International, FTX US, had enough to repay all customers. Not everyone necessarily agrees with this. He says, my goal, my one goal is to do right by customers. I'm contributing what I can to doing so. I'm meeting in person with regulators and working with the teams that do what we can for customers, and after that, investors, but first customers. He says, my goal, clean up and focus on transparency, make customers whole. He says, a few weeks ago, FTX was handling around $10 billion a day of volume and billions of transfers, but there was too much leverage, more than I realized. A run on the bank and market crash exhausted liquidity, so what can I try to do? raise liquidity, make customers whole, and restart. He says, maybe I'll, maybe I'll fail. Maybe I won't get anything more for customers than what's already there. He says, I've certainly failed before. You all know that now all too well, but all I can do is to try. He says, I've failed enough for the month, and part of me thinks I might get somewhere. He says, I know you've all seen this. But here's where things stand today, roughly speaking lots of caveats, etc. Liquid, minus 8 billion. Semi, 5.5 billion. Illiquid, 3.5 billion. He says, and yeah, maybe that 9 billion illiquid M2M isn't worth 9 billion. On the other hand, a month ago it was worth 18 billion plus 10 billion net. Then he says truth and beauty. Once upon a time a month ago FTX was a valuable enterprise. FTX had around 10 to 15 billion of daily volume and roughly 1 billion of annual revenue, 40 billion of equity value, and we were held as paragons of running an effective company. He says I was on the cover of every magazine and FTX was the darling of Silicon Valley. We got overconfident and careless, and problems were brewing larger than I realized. Again, these numbers are approximate to the best of my knowledge, etc. He says leverage built up about five billion of leverage, backed by twenty billion of assets, which were well—they had value. FTT had value. Now, those are the uh, the coins he just made out of thin air. He says FTT had value in EV, but they had risk. And that risk was correlated with the other collateral and with the platform, and then the crash came. In a few-day period, there was a historic crash, over 50% in most correlated assets with no bid-side liquidity, and at the same time, there was a run on the bank. He says roughly 25% of customer assets were withdrawn each day, $4 billion. As it turned out I was wrong. Leverage wasn't around 5 billion, it was around 13 billion. 13 billion leverage, total run on the bank, total collapse in asset value, all at once, which is why you don't want that leverage. And then he says shrapnel. And so now there is a fascinating response from a Twitter profile called Autism Capital which has over 173,000 followers. Autism Capital, which uh, bills itself as the most based citizen journalism in crypto. We're currently following the FTX saga. Please be patient, we have autism. (laughs) In response to what I just shared with you from Sam Bankman Freed, which came out Monday, Autism Capital says... 24 tweets, and still no responsibility. To which Michael Schellenberger says, bingo. Some people have misinterpreted my thread as saying we should blame Sam Bankman-Fried's mother for Sam's apparent crimes. Definitely not. That's her argument, not mine. I'm saying we should hold Sam Bankman-Fried and nobody else responsible. As usual, the antidote can be found near the poison. Paul Bloom, in the same issue of Boston Review, in which Sam Bankman-Fried's mother wrote in 2013 that people should not be held accountable for the crimes they commit, Paul Bloom makes the identical case I made, which is that free will motivates good behavior. He said, if you take her argument seriously... Nobody should be blamed for anything. Not the teenager or the corrupt politician or the cheating spouse or anybody else. You also shouldn't praise, admire or respect anyone as all of these attitudes presume some degree of choice. And here's the screenshot from the article it says, if we abandon the notion of choice, we lose too much. Consider a man who thrashes in his sleep and hits his wife in the face, breaking her nose. They both wake up, and he is horrified at what has happened. Compare this to a man who hates his wife and wants to hurt her. One night, he waits for her to fall asleep and then fully awake, hits her in the face. When she awakes, he pretends to be horrified at what had happened. Common sense tells us that only the second man is blameworthy because only he chose his action. It is impossible to imagine a legal or moral system that doesn't take this difference between the two men seriously. But doesn't Mrs. Freed's argument show that choice cannot exist? Not really. One alternative is to see choice as a certain psychological process. Yes, the second man's action was ultimately caused by his genes and environment. He couldn't have done otherwise. But it was also the product of conscious deliberation, of mulling over alternatives and weighing options. This is what makes it a choice. And if the man was schizophrenic or deeply depressed or had been horribly abused by his wife, such factors might erode his deliberative capacity and make him less blameworthy. Now, Schellenberger says, Sam Bankman-Fried deliberately hit his investors in the face while they were sleeping, and now he is half denying that he did so deliberately. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Now, there's a great response here from a guy named Justin Eakins, who says, the irony is that even if you accept that our behavior is a product of genetics and external forces, that is an argument for punishing people's bad actions, since the threat of punishment would be an important external force that will result in better behavior. I want to see what uh, Friedrich Hayek from the uh, Austrian School of Economics wrote about that. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Now, this Sam Bankman-Fried guy with uh, FTX, uh, he didn't just give to Democrats. It wasn't just tens of millions of dollars to Democrats. Oh, no, 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 no. He gave to a few rhinos, also, haven't heard about that, have you? I got it coming up. Also, fireworks from the FBI director, Chris Ray, spoke to Congress. Also, the latest evidence of voter fraud in Arizona, and what is Carrie Lake going to do about it? There's a lot more still to talk about today on the Doc Washman Show. But first, I would love to help you by sharing with you the most well-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, blood sugar issues, psoriasis, migraines? The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds, it rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. And if it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. And when that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for 5 or 6 weeks every spring, all my life. When I got my Atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it has never come back. The migraines went away, too, and they never came back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, psoriasis, blood sugar issues, migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. 501 279-2009 for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people that we know. Call them to see if they can help you too. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside Central Arkansas and you're going, man, I wish I was inside Central Arkansas. Maybe they could help me. Well, you might be able to find help yourself. Just go to their website, It's called TurnMyPowerOn.com, and click on the tab that says, Find a Doctor Near You, and I sure hope you can. And thank you so much to our friends, our advertisers, our doctors, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree, at TurnMyPowerOn.com. All right, none other than the PostMillennial.com has an item that just came out called Revealed Disgraced FTX Crypto Bro donated to six never-Trump rhinos. Actually, at least seven, but they leave one out, and I'll tell you who it is in a minute. It has been revealed that Sam Bankman-Fried, founder of FTX, donated to six rhinos who voted to impeach President Trump. It's already been widely reported that Bankman-Fried was the Democrats' second largest donor, just behind George Soros. But this latest revelation shows just how massive an influence the disgraced crypto bro may have had over politics in the last few years. And they link to a piece in Forbes magazine that says, since July, Bankman Frieda's, made $5,800 contributions the maximum individuals can give directly to congressional campaigns to the committees of Bill Cassidy, Republican Senator from Louisiana, Susan Collins, Republican Maine, Lisa Murkowski, Republican Alaska, Ben Sass, Republican Nebraska, Mitt Romney, Republican Utah, and Richard Burr, the North Carolina Republican who announced plans to retire at the end of his term in 2023. It was already reported by the Financial Times out of London. On Tuesday, the Bankland-Fried's balance sheet listed a $7 million asset called Trump Lose. The disgraced FTX founder donated approximately $38 million to various Democrat candidates and PACs from 2021-2022, according to the Federal Election Commission filings. He was known for primarily donating to left-wing causes and made the biggest contribution to the Protect Our Future PAC, a group founded in January that funded Democrat candidates in the midterms. The PAC's largest donation went to a candidate who ran for Oregon's 6th Congressional District, Carrick Flynn. Despite receiving $10.5 million, he was defeated in the Democrat primary by Andrea Salinas. However, A month before the midterm elections, Flynn touted his $2,900 donation to Salinas' campaign on a less than $45,000 a year salary, claiming that, quote, my money is where my mouth is when I say that I believe she will do an excellent job representing Oregonians in D.C. Salinas went on to win her seat by just two percentage points. Some of the other candidates who received donations from the PAC are Lucy McBath of Georgia, Chantel Brown of Ohio, Adam Hollyer of Michigan, and Josh Lafazan of New York. Protect Our Future has claimed to be a bipartisan committee, but the only contributions it has made are to Democrats. Now, we gave you the six Rhino senators that the post-millennial says, Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, has donated to. Cassidy, Louisiana, Collins, Maine, Murkowski, Alaska, Sass, Nebraska, Mittens, Utah, and Richard Burr, North Carolina. But they left somebody out. Now, this is a Rhino senator who did not vote for impeachment. He didn't vote to impeach President Trump, but he certainly slammed him. Who's at least partially responsible for January 6th. Said the election in 2020 was not stolen. But somehow, somebody talked President Trump into endorsing this guy. I'll leave that to your imagination. Anyway, um, Ryan Selkis, founder of Masari Crypto, financial reporting and market intelligence for crypto professionals, With over a quarter of a million daily readers, he says the stabenow bozeman FTX bill would not have prevented this disaster because FTX helped to write it and did so in a way that would have allowed them to hide the problems indefinitely while raising more money from U.S. institutional investors. The Senate ag staff has been engaged and working hard on this for months and in good faith, but... Shouldn't we understand how this happened first and ensure any comprehensive legislation prevents this from happening again? Let's do this fast but thoroughly. Stabenow Bozeman. Now, Debbie Stabenow, of course, Senator from Michigan. But if you're outside Arkansas, you're like, Bozeman? Who's Bozeman? You might see his name and say, isn't that pronounced Bozeman? That's John Bozeman. He is U.S. Senator from Arkansas, the one that's never on TV, the one you've never heard of. If you're outside Arkansas, a lot of people inside Arkansas, have never heard of. Them. Tom Cotton is the one that gets on TV. Okay. Not, uh, not John Bozeman. So he and the Democrat have been working on this bill for months. And it turns out that. FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, has been helping to write it. Now, what does that tell you? But wait, but wait, but wait, but wait. There's more. Take a look at uh, Caleb Taylor. Now, Caleb Taylor is assistant editor, 1819 News, which is a statewide, state focused, full service multimedia company for the state of Alabama, founded in 1819. It's been around for over 200 years. And Caleb Taylor says Sam Bankman Fried, the FTX crypto bankrupt guy, donated to Senator Bozeman. And he has the screenshot. He has the screenshot. $5,800. Twenty nine hundred for the primary and twenty nine hundred for the general. So that's messed up. Now, if you're in Arkansas, have you heard about that anywhere? Anybody talking about that? If you're outside Arkansas, have you even ever heard of Senator Boson? You know. You know what I'm saying. So, yeah, that's a big old mess. That's a big old mess. Speaking of big old messes, let me get to the ongoing corruption, the ongoing election fraud in Arizona. Oh, my goodness. First of all, first of all, Let's hear from the two guys, the two main election commissioner guys in Maricopa County, telling how everything is just fine, how you got nothing to worry about, and, and what to do if there are any problems. Okay? Everything is, now remember, Maricopa County is by far the most densely populated county in Arizona. It's the county that Phoenix is in. Okay? Millions of people live in Maricopa County. All right? About 4.5 million people live in Maricopa County. You know, Phoenix, Arizona is big enough to have Major League Baseball, NFL football, NBA basketball, I mean that's a big city. So the powers that be. They put out a little video on I guess it was either the morning of election day or maybe they I guess they put it out the day before about how things are going to run so smoothly on Election Day. when something like this.
3: Hello, Maricopa County. I'm Bill Gates, the chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. And I'm Stephen Richard, the Maricopa County recorder. And we're here to give you an update on how things are going so far with the election. We've already had almost 44,000 people show up this morning, check in, and be available to vote. And things are going great out there, but there's one thing that we wanted to address to make people aware of today, and that has to do with our tabulators. We've got about 20% of the locations out there where there's an issue with the tabulator where some of the ballots, that after people have voted them, they try and run them through the tabulator, and they're not going through. But the good thing is, is we do, first of all, we're trying to fix this problem as quickly as possible. And we also have a redundancy in place. If you can't put the ballot in the tabulator, then you can simply place it here, in where you see the number three, and this is a secure box where those ballots will be kept for later this evening, where we'll bring them in here to Central Count to tabulate them. So this will function much like early voting functions, in that we would get your ballot back. Once we've signature verified it, we would send it to our central tabulators. Ballots that are in here will already be, in effect, signature verified, so we won't need to confirm identity, but we will central tabulate them. This is actually what the majority of Arizona counties do on election day all the time. And just one thing to keep in mind, we have 223 vote centers across the county. So if there are lines at the location you're at or issues with the tabulator, if you would prefer to go to another location, you can do that. doesn't matter where you go as long as you're a registered voter here in Maricopa County. Thanks so much. And everybody, if you haven't yet, get out and
0: vote. Yeah. so everything's just going to be fine, right? Shouldn't be an issue. Got a problem, then, you know, just do this, do that, do the other. Just follow our uh, our advice, right? Well, unfortunately, things did not go smoothly. Things did not go at all smoothly. Uh, here is the Arizona voter Richard Perasek. And all these people are from Maricopa County.
4: My name's Richard Parisek. I voted on Election Day, November eighth, two 2022, at the Desert Hills Community Church of the Nazarene, which is located on 7th Street, north of the Carefree Highway. My uh, issue is my ballot was rejected after completed. It went through the tabulating machine, and I was told that there was a problem with the printer, that they couldn't accept my ballot. So they gave me two options. I could either put my ballot in some type of a container, and they would count it a little bit later, or I could go through the whole procedure, sign in again and vote and fill out a new fresh ballot, which I elected to do because I wanted my vote to count on that day. That that's what the way it should be. I shouldn't have to put it in some kind of a cubby hole. It just doesn't seem like uh, there was a lot of uh, planning for this uh, for this voting. I'm very disappointed in this, that this was uh, done in this fashion.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I would be very disappointed also you know this is uh this is jacked up Arizona voter Aaron Sinkowski
5: Hi my name is Aaron Sinkowski uh, I'm a resident of Gilbert Arizona um, I had a problem at my polling place on election day the place that I uh tried to vote at was um, First United Methodist Church on um, Cooper just south of Elliott. Um, I went there I showed my ID. They printed out a ballot for me. Um, I tried to put it in the machine and it would not be tendered. It kept rejecting it. And in fact, it rejected everybody online in front of me and behind me.
0: Um, sound like something's messed up there. I mean, I'm not going too far a to limb, am I? To say that something is, uh, is messed up. Uh, Maricopa County, Arizona voter. Maria.
2: Hi, I'm Maria Lynch. I live in Anthem, Arizona, where my polling precinct was at the Anthem outlets. I got there at 1130 to go and cast my vote. Um, I waited in a very long line with many people um, until 230 that afternoon. During that time, the machines were going down. We were being told that That 70% of uh, the voting cards were not being read at that time, um, and they were just having issues with the whole thing. We were also told we could try and put our votes through four times. At that point, if it didn't go through on the fourth time, we could go ahead and leave it to, uh, you know, be done at a later date. Uh, Luckily, mine did go through, and I didn't have to do that, which concerned me um, if it went that way. And that is what we experienced. Thank you.
0: That's what we experienced. Um I think uh what is going on, what is being reported, what did go on is excusable. Excusable. Here's a uh, Maricopa County, Arizona voter Shannon
5: Hi, my name is Shannon Severson. I'm a Maricopa County voter in LD3. On election day, I went to the Desert Hills Community Church location to vote at about 8.45, 9 in the morning. It took me a total of two hours to vote. My first ballot, they tried to scan about eight times. It was rejected every time. We noted that along the side, the black boxes printed down the side of the ballot were slightly faded, and they said, this looks like the problem. I said, so it's a print report problem. And they said, yes, it's been happening all morning, but we don't know which printer is the problem. They offered me door number three and said those ballots would be taken downtown and counted my hand that night. I said, no, thank you. I asked if I could spoil my ballot and vote again. So I watched as a woman put X's through my ballot and she directed me back over to the check-in area. Um, the woman who rechecked me in didn't confirm any th- what had happened to my spoiled ballot. I did cancel my check in, cancel my vote and I was able to vote that time but again it took me about two hours later that day a friend of mine we were hearing issues all day with friends of ours two, two and a half hours to vote at that location tabulators down we went to deliver waters to the voters there the line was wrapped around the building um, for the two and a half hours that we were there and people were telling us that it was taking an hour hour and a half in line and then of course their time to vote. So it was an issue all day. Thank you very much.
0: Two and a half hours. I wonder why that was. Any thoughts on that? Any guesses on that? There are too many of these people. They're not making it up. Here's Arizona voter Lawrence.
6: Good morning. My name is Lauren Santangelo, and I'm explaining my horrible experience at the Anthem polling office. We took about an hour and a half to get in, first of all. And as we were on the line, there was this woman who was coming down the line who already voted. And she was explaining to us that they're playing games inside, claiming the printers don't work, tabulators aren't working, and they want you to put your vote in box three. And uh, okay, but she was being followed by a Board of Elections representative, yelling also, don't believe this woman, don't believe this woman. Pay no attention to her. So that raised suspicion right there. So we get inside, go through the normal checking procedure. wait on a very, very long line, inside, put my ballot in, it did not take. I reversed it, did not take. Flipped it over, did not take. Reversed it, did not take. So they said, oh, we could put it in box three and it'll be tabulated downtown. I go, no, we're not. We're not doing that because my vote will probably go into garbage. So I filled out a new ballot, waited online again. It went through. Frustrating as hell. It was not a good experience at all. And uh, let's see what else I can add to this. They blamed the printer. They did blame the printer, but it was probably planned. Just to frustrate you to leave. That's what I feel. All right. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. They wanted to frustrate you to the extent that you would leave. Right? I got another Arizona voter.
3: I live in a 55 and older community in Maricopa County. On election day, I had arrived 15 minutes prior to the doors opening at the voting center, and there was already a half a dozen people ahead of me. Once inside and my ballot was filled out, I turned around and the line was at least 20 people at the tabulators because of the functioning, ill-functioning tabulators that should have been properly tested and
0: ready. I believe it was a form of voter suppression. You know what I do, too? I absolutely do, too. Another Arizona voter.
6: Kevin Rimbry, uh went to the uh, voting uh, polling station at Deer Valley, the Deer Valley School District Office. They said that the uh, tabulating machines were down, but the poll worker proceeded to give me addresses which were way out, which seemed like they were way out of the way. Almost sounded like she was trying to dissuade me from voting. I've never had that happen
0: before, so. Almost sound like she's trying to dissuade me from voting. Never had that happen before. So we have a, a senior advisor for Carrie Lake, Carolyn Wren. Carrie is still saying we're going to win. I'm not giving up. We're going to win, and we we have a statement from Carrie Lake coming up. But uh, she has a. Uh, A very well spoken advisor named Carolyn Wren, and I want to hear what she has to say first. And it goes something like this.
7: I can't go too much even to the legal strategy but there are a couple things I can go into and there's been a lot of back and forth between our attorneys and the Maricopa County attorneys and I do think that we need to be more public about what those things are. We've been trying to be very careful and, and I don't want to say play by the rules because the Democrats certainly don't but trying to follow this process along but one of the letters that our attorneys sent yesterday is something really simple that we'd like to know why is it that we, we start early voting on October 12th and why did 0% of the voting centers encounter tabulation problems during early voting when we know the Democrats were all heavily voting and why did that number then jump up to 48 percent of voting centers encounter tabulation problems on election day when voters voted for Kerry Lake three to one. Basic things like that are being put in writing. We're sitting in Maricopa County. Shocker, they're not answering them, but these are things that if, you know, certain things end up going to litigation, I think there's a lot of people who would like to know this because I would like to know. I think that is absolutely outrageous, and and it's, it's either total incompetence or it's malice, and I, I think that's, that's what we're going to try to find out.
0: I think it's malice. I don't think you would be that incompetent. Do you? I don't think you can be that incompetent. I think it's total malice. Kerry Lake says we're not giving up.
1: Hey Arizona, Carrie Lake here. I wanted to reach out to you to let you know that I am still in this fight with you. For two years, I've been sounding the alarm about our broken election system here in Arizona. And this past week has confirmed everything we've been saying. When we called for Katie Hobbs to recuse herself over a year ago, they ridiculed us. It turns out we were right. The fox was guarding the hen house, and because of that, voters have been disenfranchised. When we raised concerns, and I filed the lawsuit months ago to get rid of the electronic voting machines. They said we were crazy. Well, it turns out we were right. On election day, nearly half of all polling locations had problems with tabulating machines and printers. Malfunctioning tabulation machines forced voters to wait in line for hours to exercise their sacred right to vote. I talked to voters who waited in line for hours. One man told me he went to a location and there was a three-hour line because the tabulators weren't working. He drove 15 miles to another location, and the printers weren't working. He drove another 15 miles and was finally able to cast his vote, but he's not sure it counted. Our election officials failed us miserably. What happened to Arizonans on election day is unforgivable. Tens of thousands of Maricopa County voters were disenfranchised. Now, I am busy here collecting evidence and data. Rest assured, I have assembled the best and brightest legal team, and we are exploring every avenue to correct the many wrongs that have been done this past week. I'm doing everything in my power to right these wrongs. My resolve to fight for you is higher than ever. This movement started in Arizona and it quickly expanded to all 50 states. It's a movement of mama bears and papa bears and students and Arizonans who love this country, who want secure borders, who want schools that prepare their children for the real opportunities that are out there. It's a movement movement of Arizonans who want safe streets once again and want the drug crisis to come to an end. It's a movement of Arizonans who want prosperity and the pursuit of happiness. That movement is stronger than it ever has been. And I can promise you one thing. This fight to save our republic has just begun. I love you, Arizona, and I love you, America.
0: Y'all pray for our country and and pray for Arizona and pray for Carrie Lake and Um, Abe Hamiday and Blake Masters. I think it's malice. I think it's corruption. I don't think it's incompetence at all. They're stealing it. It's outrageous. All right, so FBI Director Christopher Wray spoke to the U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security. Um, Mayorkas was also there, Homeland Security Secretary. But I, I want to start with um, a pretty fiery confrontation. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican, Wisconsin, who, thank God, just won re-election. He, uh, he wasn't having it with Christopher Ray. He wasn't having it. And God bless him.
8: Director Ray, you made a comment here in answer to the chairman's questioning that you are committed to working with this committee. You'll excuse me if uh, I find those words ring incredibly hollow. I had to subpoena you as chairman of this committee. I really didn't get anything. I've written repeated letters, either with no response whatsoever or a non-response response. response. It's one of the reasons, and I'm very grateful to all the whistleblowers that are coming forward to various committees, to various members, uh, people of integrity within your organizations, uh, blowing the whistle on the corruption at some of the highest levels of the FBI. Um, First question, do you commit publicly that the FBI will not retaliate against those whistleblowers?
9: Senator, we will not retaliate against whistleblowers. I take the protections uh, that are in law and regulation of whistleblowers extremely seriously. Okay, we we'll like that. Okay, just like that's... I take compliance with all of our other rules very mm-hmm. seriously.
8: Um, Senator Grassley wrote you a letter on July 25th of 2020 in which uh, he said that whistleblowers to his office uh, reported that FBI officials initiated a scheme to downplay derogatory information on Hunter Biden for the purpose of shutting down investigatory activity related to his potential criminal exposure by labeling it, quote, disinformation. Boy, that's a, that's a familiar term. Uh, that scheme was hatched in August of 2020. Uh, also included, he said, in August 2020, FBI Supervisor Supervisory Intelligence Analyst Brian Auten opened an assessment which was used by FBI headquarters team to improperly discredit negative Hunter Biden information as disinformation and cause investigative activity to cease. Have you responded to Senator Grassley's letter that he wrote over three months ago?
9: Uh, Senator, I know there have been a whole slew of letters. I believe we've responded to a number of them, but I sitting here, I, 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 I can't you, tell you, you, which, you, ones you, you not. which ones have uh, responded to.
8: Have you looked into those charges that there was a scheme hatched in August 2020 to downplay the derogatory information on Hunter Biden? Have you looked into that personally?
9: We have, as we speak, uh, a number of personnel matters that are underway. And I, for, as reasons I'm sure you can appreciate, we can't discuss it well, I know that's always your excuse. Matters.
8: No, I, I got it. I understand how you remain above the law by using that excuse repeatedly.
0: Oh, 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 oh. oh buddy. Oh, buddy. Ron Johnson is on fire. Uh,
8: the reason I'm a little sensitive... Uh, on August August 2020, is that on August 6th, both Senator Grassley and I received an unsolicited briefing by members of the FBI, which I knew was immediately was a setup. No new information whatsoever. Uh, I knew it was a setup, and I was correct because nine months later, on May 1st, it was leaked to the Washington Post to smear me.
0: Wow. Buddy, it's it's getting real up in here, y'all. I ain't gonna lie, fam. I've written you publicly a number of times
8: asking who directed that briefing. Are you prepared to tell me in
9: public who directed that briefing now? Senator, when, first off, I can't discuss specific defensive briefings more broadly, and that's a long-standing practice. So tell, tell, me, tell, tell me then why have you refused
8: yeah. to meet with us to privately tell us who directed that briefing?
9: So if i may finish my answer to the question. It's longstanding practice not to discuss specific defensive briefings. We have, as my understanding, responded in writing to a letter that you sent, I think... It's, all, it's just bu- it's bureaucratic it's bureaucratic
8: gobbledygook is what that is. And, and, That's and not a
9: response. We offered in that letter to provide a senior executive of the FBI to walk through in detail our process.
8: What your process is, but not specifically who directed a briefing that was used to smear me. Have you looked into the leaking... Of that briefing to the Washington Post.
9: Have you investigated that? I'm not going to discuss specific investigations. As to the briefing question and who directs it, let me be very clear about this. When it comes to election related defensive briefings, there is not a single person who makes that decision. That is an interagency process that was set up by the prior administration, signed off on by the former president. Well, there, there are persons in that
8: interagency, correct? So there would be persons. So we should know who those persons are. Why, why won't you tell us who directed that briefing, the persons then?
9: I would refer you to the process that was put in place, and we can give you more information about the process if you would like.
8: Have you read Senator Grassley's and my report uh, on Hunter Biden's corruption, uh, issued in September of 2020 and November of 2020? Have you read those reports?
9: I have had a chance to look at it.
8: Do you see any sign of Russian disinformation those reports
9: That would be a hard question for me to answer. No,
8: it's very easy. Yeah. It's very easy. What I would say to It's a very easy answer. There is no Russian disinformation. That report is completely clean of any interference of foreign influence. Although
0: And and Christopher Ray knows that. But he doesn't want to upset the left-wingers. We have been falsely accused,
8: including by the chairman of this committee, of spreading Russian disinformation. Do you, are you aware of the FBI having any involvement whatsoever in the October 19, 2020 public statement by 51 former intelligence officials?
0: Oh boy, here we go, here we go. I'm
9: not aware of any involvement by the FBI in what you're describing. The the reason I
0: ask is, if it's
8: true that uh, in August of 2020, the FBI initiated a scheme to downplay derogatory information on Hunter Biden, it would seem like maybe part of that scheme would be to get intelligence officials to issue a letter stated that the laptop had all the earmarks of a Russian information operation. That was totally false. We now know that the Hunter laptop is completely authentic. Sure is. The point I'm trying to make here is the unsolicited briefing that was leaked in May of 2021 was used to smear me and interfered into the U.S. Senate election of November 2022. One of the whistleblowers to my committee has stated that uh, the FBI was no longer going to interfere in the election. So, as a matter of fact, I can't find it right now and I'm running out of time. Oh, here it is. The FBI is, quote, not going to change the outcome of the election again. Well, the FBI certainly tried to by leaking or somebody within the, somebody leaked that FBI briefing. Are you going to investigate that? Because that is the election interference. And let's face it, this letter by 51 intelligence officials, this interfered in the 2020 election to a far greater extent than anything Russia or China ever could have hoped to accomplish. You have to acknowledge that. It has to be investigated. I have no faith that you will do so. Thank you,
10: uh, Senator Johnson. Senator
8: Hassan, Senator you are recognized for your questions.
0: Now, you notice that at the end. You have to investigate this. And I, I have no faith that you will. Now, Ron Johnson was out of time at that point. But FBI Director uh, Christopher Ray could have responded. Didn't want to. His silence speaks volumes, doesn't it? The FBI is corrupt. Rand Paul and Chris Ray, Ron Johnson, whetted your appetite for Rand Paul and Chris Ray, and it was something like this:
11: Director Ray is uh, Facebook or any other social media company supplying private messages or data on American users that is not compelled by the government or the FBI.
9: Um not compelled. In other words, not in response to legal processes. No
11: warrant, no subpoena. They're just supplying you information on their users. Uh,
9: I don't believe so, but uh, but I can't sit here and, and be sure of that as I as I sit here.
11: Can you give us a, a yes or no by going back to your team and asking because it's a very specific question because if they are, it's against the law. The law, the Stored Communications Act, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act of 1986 prohibits providers from sharing electronic communications with any person or entity unless it's compelled. This was done to protect the privacy of people so we could feel like we can send an email or a direct message to people without having that information given over. It's a very specific question. Will you get with your team of lawyers and give us a specific answer? Because this is the law. If you're doing it, then we need to go to court to prevent you from receiving this information
12: well I,
9: I, I can tell you that I'm quite confident we're following the law but what I will also well, that's do is not, the answer, with, that's but, not the but, answer. but I will also follow up with you to make sure that we get you Good. more information more detailed information
11: is the F- FBI obtaining anonymous social media data and then using technical methods to pierce the anonymous nature of the data
9: anonymous social media data?
11: So you purchase data. People purchase data all the time and we sort of tolerate it for advertisings and things because it's anonymous data. Are you purchasing what is said to be anonymous data through the marketplace and then piercing the anonymous nature to attach individual names to that data?
9: Right, but when you asked about anonymous data I was thinking more in terms of um,
11: No, I'm talking about data that is out there
9: and are you purchasing data and then piercing the anonymous nature of that data? So the manner in which we we use, uh, we usually use the term commercial data. Um, uh, is probably longer than I could explain here. But again, let me have a have a. Uh, so you you you, are, you
11: aren't you me. will not answer the question of whether or not you're attaching names to anonymous data.
9: I think it's a more complicated answer than I can give here.
11: So, so far we're 0 for 2 with getting you to answer this, but you're pledging you will actually answer the question because you have to realize the frustration. We'll write you a letter and your team of lawyers will write back a 15-page letter that says nothing and you won't answer the question. These are very specific. This is whether you're obeying the law, whether we can have confidence. I want to have confidence
9: in the We are obeying the law.
11: Well, you're saying that, but you won't tell us the answer.
9: I said So you, so would, you have no, to I, say that's yes. That's not what yes, I we're, said.
11: No, you aren't telling me the answer. And the answer is, are you collecting data not compelled by a warrant? That would not be in compliance with the law, but you won't answer that you're not collecting that data.
9: I, I said two things. One, we're following the law. And second, that we would have somebody follow up with you with more detailed specifics. So those
11: are two specific questions. Are you getting data from them that's not compelled? And then are you piercing the anonymous nature of that technically? Um, Are you receiving private messages from social media companies uh, through the use of uh, uh, confidential human sources? Um, Facebook, social media companies. You have people working over there who you're paying or who are volunteering to give you information, even though it would be against the law for Facebook to do this. But now you're saying, well,
9: we'll get around the law by using confidential human sources. You, You mean, just to be clear, I'm following the question. You mean, in effect, recruiting a human source inside the company? Exactly. Yeah. No, I don't believe so. I think what we have had situations where we have confidential human sources, not employees of those companies, but who report to us on their own community. So if if the two of us had a communication and Secretary Mayorkas was a human source, he could report to us about what he is saying to me. Once
11: again, I'd like the answer to be more specific from your team. Not that I don't believe so, but that you are or are not using human confidential resources within Facebook. So we get back to the idea of whether or not you're getting information for them outside the warrant process. Because the question, the next question is which you probably won't answer either, is are you taking information that you're getting not through the warrant process and then going around and coming back and using that as a predicate for getting a warrant to actually get the information you've already been given?
9: I'm not sure I'm completely following the...
11: Basically, you get information that Facebook's volunteering. This has all been written up in the Post article. You're familiar with the Post article with the accusations. And the question is, are you getting information they're giving to you? They say, oh, somebody says January 6th was great. Here's information on this guy. Then you're taking it and then using it as a predicate to say, well, now let's go to the court and get a real warrant and get the information we already actually got without a warrant.
9: So we get tips and leads from all over the place, from members of the public, from businesses, from community leaders, from other and government partners uh, all the time. And we use the tips and leads that we right. get to often for are, it's, law. are you getting tips?
11: Are you getting tips and leads from Facebook and social media companies?
9: We get tips and leads from companies. Absolutely, right.
11: it includes private information.
9: Well, I'm not aware of us receiving any tips or leads. So see, here's the point. Way is, you, may, you may think it's law. just jolly
11: well to get all this stuff without a warrant that people volunteer to you, but many of us are alarmed that you're getting this information that are private communications between people because it is against the law. It's against the law for Facebook or social media companies to give it to you, but it's also against the law for you to receive it. So you're going to have to very specifically go back with your team and search over whether you're doing it, not just say, oh, well, probably not. We obey the law. We're good people. Well, no.
0: He's he's just, he's roasting him. I just, here's more.
11: There are doubts because this has been reported. Even the FBI, when you responded to the New York Post article said that companies are referring information to the FBI with investigative value relating to foreign malign influence. Now, there'd probably be a great deal more tolerance about that if it's foreign malign influence but the question is, are you also receiving information on so-called domestic? But what, what would that mean? Is someone questioning whether paper ballots are an accurate way of running election? Is that good enough for you to be getting our private information because we have a political beef with the way votes are counted or recorded in our country is that something that you're collecting information on are you are they giving you information on private things that you've told them well we people who question the election we want we want to hear about these people and so then they're giving you this information are you receiving information
9: I'll give them? you two classic examples that I think happen with some frequency one if we supply information to say Facebook or any number of other technology companies about foreign accounts Russian intelligence service, for example, accounts. They, when they then look in their system for those accounts, they often find other accounts related to those, and they provide tips and leads back to us about those. That's one example. A second would be a situation where a technology company encounters a threat of violence, on their platform, on their services, and they provide tips and leads to us and we follow there's up a, on those and threats of violence. There's
11: not a lot of disagreement about that. The question is, is when we start to talk about political speech, and that is the question, are you receiving things that could be interpreted, and we'd want to know, and if you're not going to admit to us, whether it's political speech, someone who questions the election, you know, someone who uh, is, is mad about something that that is going on, but it's not saying they're directly going to commit violence, they're mad about things, whether the New York Post article said is yes you're getting this, and then when they're finally read in context, and this is from a whistleblower which makes us suspect you're not being forthcoming or honest with us, is that whistleblowers are saying you are receiving this information from Facebook and others, and that you are going around the Constitution then to come back and try to get warrants for it, but then once you read it, there's been no actionable intelligence on this, but this is an active program that you've got. You work for the government, you. you should admit to us whether or not you have a program going after our speech. Thank you, Senator we, Paul. We investigate violence,
9: not speech.
0: Yeah, I don't believe you. I think you're lying. And I think there's a lot of evidence you're lying. And uh, I would think that Rand Paul, had he had a little bit more time, would have probably said about the same thing. I trust FBI Director Christopher Wray as far as I can throw. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and his slightly Chunkier cousin simultaneously. Josh Hawley, the great Josh Hawley, Senator of Missouri, has some thoughts for Ray.
12: Director Ray, let me start with you if I could. I think the last time that I got to visit with you was back in August, August 4th of this year. You were at the Senate Judiciary Committee. You remember that, I assume. We had to cut that hearing short. We're supposed to do two rounds of questions. You said you had to be somewhere, so we cut it short. Republicans were not able to ask a second round as we had been informed we would. The press reported shortly thereafter that the reason that the hearing had to be cut short is because you were flying on a Gulfstream jet for a personal vacation in the Adirondacks. Please tell me that's not accurate. Senator,
9: the hearing was was not cut short from my experience. We had agreed beforehand on the time and and length of it. And I was very surprised to find that the committee was surprised. Uh, As to how I fly, I am required, not only uh, permitted, but required to fly uh, on uh, an FBI plane wherever I go. So, So you were going on vacation?
12: I was, Yes. So you left a statutorily required oversight hearing in order to go on a personal vacation to the Adirondacks? I took a flight to go visit my family, uh, as had been previously arranged in conjunction no, no, with no, the no. leadership of the committee. The ranking member, Chuck Grassley, asked you during the hearing, he said, I assume you must have other business. You said, yes. He then said... If you have a business trip, you've got your own plane, can't it wait a while? He then said, Chuck Grassley, we only just heard half an hour ago that now you have to leave. We were going to have a seven-minute round followed by a three-minute round. I've got seven people on my side of the aisle, that included me, who are waiting for this additional round. Is there any reason we can't accommodate them for 21 minutes? And you said you had a plane to catch. You had somewhere to go. And now we find out it was for vacation? The, the reference
9: to other business was not a reference to that day. It was a reference to the following week where Senator Grassley and I were going to see each other in Iowa when I had other business in Iowa, and I did, in fact, see him then. So wait,
12: you had to leave the hearing early because you had you're going to see him later in Iowa in a week? No,
9: I had to leave uh, when I said I was going to have to leave, as had been previously organized
12: with the leadership <laughs> of the you, you left an oversight hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee required by statute so you could vacation with your family i find that absolutely unbelievable and frankly indefensible now is it your practice to use government planes you say you do this all the time you flew on a Gulfstream 550 i think that was originally purchased for counterterrorism purposes you were using it to go to what is it saranac lake is that how i say it i've never been there is that is that the right pronunciation saranac lake that was your destination yes so uh, did you enjoy the flight i mean did you pay for it Yes, I paid for it. Will you turn over all receipts and reimbursement to Se- this committee? Senator, we will be happy to comply with oversight requests related to the
9: use of the plane. As I said, and it's important for people to understand... I, I want to just committee. give me a I, yes.
12: Will when, when, when,
9: when, when, you when turn I, over I, the receipts for your flight? I will turn over flight, information related to committee. my use of the plane. The use of the plane, I am required, not just permitted, required, even for personal travel, to use the FBI plane. How okay. convenient and for I you. Pay, and I pay... Every single time that I use the plane for... I'm glad it's available for you
12: to jet away from your statutorily required hearings and oversight before this Congress, where you denied the ability of members of Congress to ask you questions because you had to go on a personal vacation using a government plane.
0: I mean, he couldn't wait another 21 minutes? Yeah, the plane's not going to take off without him. Let's just look at
12: some of the things while you've been vacationing your FBI has been doing according to numerous whistleblowers who have come forward to members of this body to members of the house the FBI has been sending more than in one instance a dozen armed agents to a rural Pennsylvania home of a Catholic pro-life demonstrator to arrest him at gunpoint in front of his children in early morning hours despite the fact that he posed no risk of violence or threat and had previously offered to turn himself in numerous whistleblowers field agents have alleged that D.C your headquarters, has pulled them off working on child sex abuse cases, working on human trafficking cases, in order to work on January 6th matters for this reason, to give the appearance, they say, they say that there are hundreds of new domestic terrorism cases in the country when in fact there are not. Whistleblowers, field agents have also said that D.C. has ordered the use of SWAT teams on non-violent suspects who may have attended a January 6th rally, and they have been ordered to conduct surveillance and knock on doors of people who were not even in D.C. on January 6th, and again, all of this, according to the whistleblowers, these are your agents, all of this, in order to make it look as if there's a mass surge in domestic terrorism all across the country, when in fact... The stats are being padded by political directive in your office. They also say, these whistleblowers, the D.C. leadership deliberately suppressed investigations into Hunter Biden, contrary to FBI procedure, and have also retaliated against FBI agents and whistleblowers who have contacted Congress, which, by the way, they are protected by statute to do so. This is what's happening at your FBI while you are evading oversight hearings. Mr. Director, do you think you're still up to this job?
9: I absolutely think I'm still up to this job, and I think our workforce feels the same way. Well,
12: I don't. And frankly, I think you should have been gone a long time ago. And given your behavior recently, I think it only makes it more clear. Are there any travel plans today that we should be aware of that you have? We're supposed to have a second round. Will you be here for that? Yes. Thank you, Mr.
0: Chairman. <laughs> wow. Josh Holly as I said earlier, is not taking it. He's not interested in taking it. Now, the second round, Senator Hawley spoke to Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas.
12: Mr. Secretary, nice to see you. I didn't get to visit with you last time, so let's, let's start with you. I think my colleagues have established, given what we're seeing on the southern border, the, the massive increase in illegality there, that that's clearly not a priority for your agency. So let's talk about what appears to be, and that is spying on Americans and censoring their speech. You have turned your agency into a censorship machine. Now, you said earlier this year that you disbanded the Disinformation Governance Board, which I thought was totally unconstitutional, but that turns out to be, at best, misleading. That's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what you're doing. Your own quadrennial review, which was just reported in the press, says that disinformation is going to be the new focus at DHS. The Quad Review says that DHS plans to target, I'm quoting now, inaccurate information domestically on a wide array of subjects, including, quoting, the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic, the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support from, for Ukraine. This is what you're devoting your agency's resources to. So I guess my first question is, is an American citizen who criticizes COVID mandates now to be treated as a domestic terrorist? Of course not. And I'd
13: like to say three things since uh, you have three inaccuracies in the question you posed to me. Number one, border security is a priority of ours. Number two, the department does not censor speech. And number three, we did not publish a quadrennial review. Does it exist, the quadrennial review? I believe it is uh, being worked on. Well, it's been published in the media.
12: Will you make it public? Uh, when it is final, it will be public. Mr. Chairman, uh, without objection, I'd like to enter the this article called The Truth Cops, published in The Intercept. Uh, here's my question, then. If if you're not censoring speech and if you're not treating Americans as domestic terrorists, then why is it that you're pressuring big tech to treat American citizens as if they're threats to the homeland. Why are you pressuring them to censor speech? So let, let me just let me just take let's take a look at some new documents that have come to light that show what your administration is doing. This administration is doing to censor speech. Let's take a look at this email from July 16th, 2021. It's over my shoulder here. Facebook emailing HHS saying, I know our teams met today to better understand the scope of what the White House expects from us on misinformation going forward. Are you familiar with that email? No. Let's try another one. And if I should. How about, hold on. Hold on. That, 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 hold on. Uh, hold on hold, 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 uh, we'll get to that. You're not familiar with this. All right. Let's try a different one. Here's one from July 20th, 2021. The White House emails Facebook saying any way we can get this pulled down. 46 seconds later, Facebook responds. Yep. We're on it. Are you familiar with that email?
0: No. Okay. How about how about this one? July 23rd. Wait a minute. I just got to remind you something. I've said this before, many times over. You don't get a job in the Biden administration unless you're willing to lie with a straight face and go home at the end of the long day and have dinner and sleep like a baby. This Mayorkas guy, he's a liar just like all the rest of them. Here's more. Josh Hawley, tearing him up. 2021 facebook
12: employee writes to hhs says thank you for taking the time to meet today wanted to make sure you saw the steps we took just this past week to adjust policies and what we are removing with respect to misinformation are you familiar with that one uh senator
13: we do not instruct just just yes just yes or no Uh, no because i'm the secretary of
12: dhs well i'm asking you that because it's funny you say that a federal judge has just found as a finding of fact mr Secretary, that your office, and I'm going to quote now, is supervising the nerve center of federally directed censorship. It's a federal judge and a federal lawsuit. You are supervising the nerve center of federally directed censorship. Here's another email. August 20th, 2021. Facebook writes again to HHS and highlights that Facebook is increasing the strength of our demotions for COVID and vaccine related content. April 16th, 2021. Rob Flaherty at the White House circulates a Zoom meeting invitation to Twitter employees stating White House staff will be briefed by Twitter on vaccine misinformation. We have example after example of this administration coordinated, apparently, according to a federal court, by your agency, pressuring, coercing social media companies to engage in censorship. Is that constitutional? That is unequivocally false. It's what the emails show. It is unequivocally false, Senator. You are not pressuring the big tech companies to take down accounts. You are not meeting with them to ask them to censor on your behalf. That is correct. We are not. You're not having any meetings with them whatsoever? Uh, We
13: meet with um, the tech companies. How often? To address address the Homeland Security mission. How often do you meet with them? For example, for example online child sexual exploitation is a scourge in this country and we have an obligation to address it. You're saying
12: that, that no one in your office has ever met with coordinated or otherwise engaged in any contact with a social media company in which you spoke to them about vaccine mandates, about uh, COVID mask mandates, about the withdrawal from Afghanistan, about the, about the current uh, U.S. involvement in Ukraine. None of that has ever happened. I, I don't know what you referring to senator and i can read the emails and i can tell you this
13: well you've you've actually cited emails outside of our department but if i've
0: cited you knows exactly what you're referring
12: to. A federal judge who says your department is engaged in supervising the nerve center of federally directed censorship. Here's my point, Mr. Secretary. It has been established for years in this country, as you very well know, because you're a lawyer, that the federal government may not use private third parties to engage in activities that are unconstitutional. That's exactly what you and this administration are doing. You are leveraging private companies to carry out censorship on your behalf. It's dystopian, but worse than that, it's unconstitutional.
0: It's also false. You know that's a, Mayorkas said the end saying it's also false? Again. Again. He gets paid to lie just like Karine Jean-Pierre just like Joe Biden just like Kamala Harris the cackler It's outrageous. It is absolutely, positively outrageous. But they do it with a clean conscience. They don't skip a beat. Neither do I. Hit it, Brian.
9: We interrupt this program to bring you a special report.
3: It's the Don
0: Washburn Show
3: Tweet of the Day.
0: Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way. Big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom, to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the Continental USA. Today's Tweet of the Day. Features a gentleman named Jerry Monroe speaking to the Harris County, Texas Board of Commissioners about the voter fraud that just went on in Harris County, that's Houston, Texas. This guy is an American original.
10: Because I know more than everybody in you about what you're doing in my district. Yes, sir. I know how you manufacture votes. I know how you leave the votes in the machines. I know how you do it. And the thing is, we're not crazy. No. We're not crazy. If I go outside of this building and I run a stop sign, I'm going to get stopped. They're going to ask me for what they need to ask me for. If I have warrants, I go to jail. Right? Your election administrator can violate the law and nothing is done. You can't ask the DA to do anything about these people because the voter harvesters worked on her campaign. Mm, Oh, they want to talk. See, when I come in the building, I can change the atmosphere. I'm the weatherman. (laughs) Because I know what's going on. And they don't have the guts to stop me. They won't threaten me. I wish you would. Do you know what my pronouns are? I wish them. Wood, those are my pronouns, and I stand for everybody in here, everybody in the county, so I'm going to read you something that came to me during early voting from a election judge, Democratic election judge on October 30th at 12.12 12 p.m., They came by about 3 p.m. to pick up the ballots. My bag can hold 3,000. So my monitor down there with the numbers, they sent me an email to call and request for ballot bag replacement. I did not call them. Why was those ballots moved? Why did they move those machines in the middle of the day? You know why they moved those machines in the middle of the day? Because they manipulated those folks. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna say it in here, and I got, I got a little time because we all in the same family. Yes, and I ain't gonna hide nothing from what I feel is the worst criminal that I've ever laid eyes on in two years, Mr. Ellis, and I know you back there watching me. It's me versus you, and I'm gonna drag you like a Persian world and so guess what? I can call them. I know y'all, y'all they made y'all do something a few weeks ago where you removed a man and all that. I can call him a clown. I can call him whatever I want to call him. According to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, where I won $300,000 against HIV for trying to restrict my speech. <laughs> so I'm gonna tell you what he ain't gonna do. As long as I don't curse him out, and as long as I don't threaten him, I can say what I want. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. We sing the title. <laughs> we sing the title. And guess what? It's gonna be us to take that Negro identity. <laughs> am I saying yeah.
0: Well, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? That was uh, the very eloquent Jerry Monroe speaking at the Harris County, Texas, Board of Commissioners meeting after Election Day. My goodness. You have been listening to Episode 284 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy, this has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, seventh floor of the Ephemeral Beak Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. But well, that's the way it is. Thursday, November 17th, 2022.